Hi, it's Friday morning. I just finished my lecture. Let me get down to uh, talk to Parsha. I was uh, I'm in between two gigs. Last week, I was in Livingston and then in uh, Muncie. I do want to thank Rabbi Michelle and Livingston, the shoulder. They were all very nice. Stayed at his house and the uh, family of uh, Michael Mamet, who organized the whole uh, Scon Residence uh, occasion. I had we had the pleasure of having lunch at the Mamets. This past uh, Shabbos, uh, my friend and myself, Eddie Hoffman, and, and me, and uh, we were treated very nicely. Lovely family, I'm an, uh, and appreciative. This coming week, this week, I'm here in town. Next week, Mr. Hashem, I'm in Boca. Um, I'm going to be a scholar in residence at the, one of the shuls there, the Young Israel. and Not the big shul, the Young Israel. And uh, I do want to call your attention Friday night. So it's called the Young Israel Book Return. Friday night, however, I'm going to be giving a talk at the home of my host in Boca Raton um, at 9 o'clock on Friday night. It's the same talk I gave last week in Muncie, which is a very, in, I think, a very interesting angle on uh, Purim and McGill and Sester. People don't know. I called it a tale of two texts. The tension involved in the publication of Megillus Esther in rabbinic history as refracted through the Sefer Ezra. And uh, as I said, I did it before, but doing it hopefully this um, Friday night. Bring a book of Ezra if you if you if you can if you happen to be in Boca, there at uh, what is it twenty two twenty five Hollyhock Trail in Thornhill Green. That's what it says. I've been there, but I don't know my way around. But uh, that's what I'm planning to do. And then Shabbos, I hope to be at the, on Shabbos day. We're giving three talks in the show there, one in the morning about uh, Parshish Yisro and anti-Semitism, and Parshal Shudas about Chazal and rationalistic interpretations of the Chumash. And in the afternoon, I'll be doing something, they gave it some title, but it boils down to uh, Shalos and Shubas in the 15th century regarding certain halachic crises that emerged um, because of the cataclysmic events of that time. I think it'll be interesting. Anyway, if you happen to be in Florida, in Boca, next Shabbos, and you're interested, um, you can look around, you'll find it uh, over there. Now, um, so I want to thank uh, my host, the Raidens, for organizing that. That's where we'll be staying, Mir Hashem. And uh, let me see what else. I do thank the people, uh, although not many, who have sent in some money. I'm trying to upgrade this operation of mine, but it does require funds. Uh, so I don't know what to do. I, you know, I can't make a move until I get the money. Um, yes, I do hope people will send in. What, 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 what can I do? I will have to wait till it happens to uh, move this forward. Um, so there you have it. Now, um, this week is Parsha B'Shalach, obviously. Uh, I wasn't sure what to talk about. And then when I had the ladies class, as I do this uh, on Wednesdays, so I saw very in- somebody uh, was over me a very interesting insight. But meanwhile, before I got around to that, last night I was in, uh, I take my daughter once a week, Ali Shabbat, to go shopping at the supermarket, the Seven Mile Market, the Kosher Supermarket, I ran into my friend Simcha Bear, uh, who's a very brilliant guy, he and I never see alike on anything, you know, he, the, the kind of arts he likes, I don't, and vice versa. Nevertheless, he's very smart, uh, and he says to me right away, he says, what's up, he was Shalach Parasam. You want to take them, which is a hard pussy. Listen closely. God did not want to take them through Derek Erz Plishtim. No, the Bashim shot is, they're going to go in a couple of days, straight from Egypt to Israel. 
as we all know, just walk across the top of the sunny desert, and there you are already in the Gaza Strip, and you're in Israel. They could have been there, you know, in a short time. But as Rashi says, you know, they'll see the uh, the Philistines and the dead bodies of Ephraim, as we all know the story, and uh, they'll get scared. And Veshavah Mitzrayimah. And Rashi points out the way he frames it is, and it's too easy. If it's easy to get from A to B, then it's also easy to get from B to A. And so, Kabbalah Kachpoto, if they run away from Egypt to uh, Israel, and then they see trouble in Israel, they'll run right back to Egypt. We don't want that. So that means that it's a weird story. That God, according to that particular Mahalach, if Hashem takes him through a twisted way, Akuma, I think Rashi calls it, if I remember, if he takes him through a screwball route, you will not be able to remember how to get back. <laughs> right? If I make a left and then a right and then two rights and a left and you know and you're blindfolded and this and that and the other then you'll never get back because I don't remember how I got here which is a pretty sad commentary on the psychology of the Jews but let's face it every 10 minutes in the Chumash the Jews keep saying even in the book of Dvarim I remember you know in the 40th year uh, you know there was an attempt by uh, six or seven tribes to go back and the other tribes had to fight them and they had a civil war Rashi you mentioned it somewhere in the uh, Akev or A, one of those places. Um, so, uh, okay, I hear. So that, one way of reading is like that. That uh, Hashem took him, God takes him, uh, not the short way, but the long way, that way they won't be able, and not only the long way, but the twisted way, complicated way, and that way they won't be able to, to figure out their way back. That's one way. But, uh, so I said, so Sam Chabayr said to me, he says, what about the fact they're supposed to get to Torah and Harsinai? If they go straight to Israel, they'll skip that. And I thought the whole point is to go back to Harsinai. Did not God say to Moses at the burning bush that uh, That's how the Pasuk goes. That back at the burning bush, he said, this is a sign that I'm sending you. When you get out of Egypt, you will serve God, meaning you'll have a mind in Harsinai. Because Hashem appeared, the burning bush was on Chariv, was on Mount Sinai. So you'll bring everybody back to this spot. And there you get the Ten Commandments and so forth. So, uh, how can you do that if you go straight to Israel? I'll be perfectly honest, I never gave much thought to it. It's a perfectly valid question. It's a shot question, right? And w- so, what does it mean that God was going to take them, like Rashi just suggested, straight to uh, Israel? And the only reason he didn't do that is because he's afraid it'd be too easy to return. Uh, how can he take them straight to Israel? he got to make a right turn somewhere and go into Sinai Desert or wherever Mount Sinai is, not that we know, and first do that. Fair question. Now, he gave some. Simchaber type shot, and I didn't like it. But, you know, uh, the question, though, was a very, very good question. You know, when you get older, and in university and graduate schools, you learn the questions are more important than the answers. Those who don't have a grad education, graduate education, don't, don't quite understand that. But uh, the questions are more important than the answers. So, it's an obvious question. Since it's an obvious question, I came almost a little bit obsessed by it <laughs> last night. I mean, I... I, I did a Medrash class, as I do, 8 o'clock in the Thursday evenings, but didn't come up in the Medrash uh, as I was hoping it would. And I almost don't remember it. So when I came home, I opened, you know, just for the heck of it, I opened the, the um, what do you call it, the Menachem Kasher, you know, the Torah Shlema. Sure enough, it's a Mechilta. Listen to this closely, because it's a, like I say, it's a wonderful question, and therefore it forces in the Mechilta, which is the oldest commentary. The Mechilta is a Medrash Halacha, which is pre-Gemara, you understand? The Talmud Bavli and Rishami quotes from the Mechilta. I mean, this is very old and authoritative. And in Mechilta it says, 
that the Pasik should be read because of this question that Simcha be raised. So the Pasik should not be read the way Rashi reads it. I mean, that's another Mahalach, but I'm talking about what the Mechilta says. The way to read it is not that way, but rather should be read as follows. And it's really a complicated Pasik. I just don't have time to explicate it word by word. But take my uh, advice, and if you have time on Shabbos, read it without any um, blinkers on, you know, just, just read it plain, and you'll see why the syntax is a little strange. But he okay, I know what that means. God did not lead them through the way to the land of the Philistines. Because it was close. So what does that mean? In other words, it's, it's not 100% clear what the term means. Now, it does sound like uh, it's referring to you know, I get that. On the other hand, it could also be in Kikarovu would be, I don't know, uh, Elohim, or Apara, or Ha'am. Who is an ambiguous phrase. So I'm going to tell you what the Mechilta says. Uh, and I say again, and, and, and uh, I attribute this to the stimulation I got from Simchaber. Uh, the Mechilta says, do not read it that way. You have to read it, uh, shall I say, midrashically, for shot purposes. Kikarov, I'm, I'm reading now from the Mechilta. Wow. So what it means is that the way you read it is as follows. When Paro sent the Jews out, Hashem did not take him uh, straight into Israel through the land of the Philistines. Because he said, I got to take you to Har Sinai. <laughs> right? That's the reason. I got to take you to Har Sinai. Therefore, we have to make a right and, walk, and cross the Red Sea and go to Sinai that way. I'll repeat the words. Karov hu hadavar, sha'amar kadosh baruch l'moshe, botziach Hashem, and so on and so forth, right? And uh, where did I see this? I pulled out a couple of books. The A.C. Yosef, I think it was, the commentary on the Mechilta, uh, said it in a, you know, rather explicitly. Hmm. I don't remember where I put it. But he says, uh, you know, that Hashem uh, says, I'm going to take you first to Harsina. Okay. So that's closer, or let's put it this way: that's the place we have to go to. Uh, ah, here it is. It was in a, a Tanhuma. You know, I tell you, I pulled out some of the bu- bu- books in the library, in my library, to see what the old sources say on this subject, which is what you're supposed to do. You know, see what the Chazal have to say in various forms. And I have a nice edition of Tanhuma now with the new stuff. And the Eitzioset, which is a classic commentary, says she al kain holchim derech hamidbar. So, Hashem says, I want to take you straight to Harsinai. Um, now, that's a, let's put it this way, it doesn't say those words in the Chumash, so it is a Midrashic interpretation, but the Mechilta is a Medrash Halach as well as a Medrash Agada, so they're not simply going, stomping the Veldrine with stories. They're, uh, uh, or Agadatos, they're telling you uh, shot oriented uh, Agadot, shall we put it over here. So I thought that's kind of cute. That's interesting. In other words, let's put it this way. Uh, Rabbi Bear is not the first guy to come up with this. Uh, it's an, it is an excellent question that stands you in there. How could God take him straight to Israel? What about Harsinai? Uh, and the answer is, at least according this question generated thousands of years ago, an interpretation Kikarvu refers to uh, the straight road to Harsinai, which is, uh, you know, let me put it this way. For some reason, Rashi doesn't mention this. You know, but Rashi's, uh, you know, he picks and chooses, seriously, you know, he doesn't give you all the different uh, chazals on there, he picks the ones 
that he considers the uh, you know the most appropriate. So uh, for some reason, I shouldn't do it. I I did a little bit of homework on this. Just looked around, uh, and the Soforno kind of notices this, but I didn't like the way he he uh, uh, you know he phrased it. Uh, but his basic argument is something like. Uh, uh, Kikarov, who I want to get to Harsina, but first I got to drown Pharaoh and, uh, in, in the Red Seas. Something like that. And uh, that's why he made a uh, right turn or whatever. I don't know. A, I like the Bechelte better. Even though it's not exactly what we call the push-up shot, Kikarov, who, but as I said before, Kikarov is, is an ambiguous phrase. Look how one little word or two little words of Chumash can be, can be, be highly productive. Um, now, that's one thing I wanted to mention. And the other one, because I think, I, I'm sure I did this partial last year, and I probably gave out last year my usual stuff on this. I've had from years and years. Uh, here's another one. I mentioned a couple weeks ago the phenomenon of Jews staying behind in Egypt. Right? Jews staying behind in Egypt. Um, specifically, the, uh, who was it, the Targum Yonasan, or pseudo-Jonathan Targum Shalmi, says, uh, referring to the Parsha in this week's Parsha, went, uh, to the passing this week's Parsha, uh, where God says to Moshe as follows, This is Hashem talking. I want you to go and place yourself in North Carolina, someplace, So Hashem says, I want you to go, fablunge it, and go plant yourself on the beach. Then God is talking, he says, and this will lead Pharaoh to say to the Bnei Yisrael and the Vukimim Barzagam that the Jews are all lost and mixed up. And this will tickle Pharaoh's vanity or his anger or something like that. And he'll chase after you. And that's my plan. I want to wipe out that son of a gun, right? I want to wipe him out. There are many Midrash, Menusha, Rabbas, that, you know, God's like a person whose son was kidnapped. And once he, he says, my first. Uh, so, so let's put it this way my first goal is to rescue the, the, the kidnapped victim once that's done and the kidnapped victim is brought to a safe place I'm going back and killing those sons of a gun because they, they uh, tortured my son or killed him or something like that so I, Hashem said I got you out of Egypt and now I'm going up to Paro and I know what will tickle his, uh, his desire to chase after you and even though it's stupid because he had 10 plagues but nevertheless we'll make it happen and uh, we'll wipe him out so what does it say it says that Omar Parlam Israel, Hashem said, Par will say to the Jewish people that no, what do you mean to the Jewish people? Now Rashi says Al B'nai Israel that uh, you know that Par will say concerning the Jewish people that they're lost. Yeah, the Rashi says that, and the Uncle is also actually, but it's not what it says. Meaning the Pashup shot is Par will say to the Jewish people. I thought everybody left. Shema Minah that they didn't all leave, right? And the Targum Yonason says the guy was speaking specifically to Dosan and Aviram. I think it means Dustin Avirim and people like that. I spoke about this at some length two weeks ago, I think, in Shmos Bo, which was three weeks ago. Okay? So you can go back and listen to Shmos if you're interested. Now listen. Um, so you have these people staying behind in Egypt. And yet, you and I know, and so does the Targumist, that Dustin Avirim end up with the Jews because they're part of Parshas Korach, are they not? I mean, they're mentioned in the Chumash specifically as, as part of Korach. So, uh, and they're actually mentioned later on. Who dosan vavi rom created asher hitzulah das Korach. You know, they're they're mentioned. Uh, you know, interestingly, more than one place. So, uh, what's going on? Uh, what's going on? 
So this led me, I was speaking about this, and I thought it was one Shabbat, Mrs. Galula was in the class, and she thought I said something else, and the, the truth of what she said was actually, the, the stimulant it was, was very good, and, and I want to share it with you. Uh, so this is a suggested reading. Um, Par will then say to the Jewish people who are left behind in Egypt that, uh, you know, your brethren are stuck in the desert, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to go wipe them out. Now, what does God go on to say about this? Listen closely. Hashem said, this is a part of my plan to mess over Pharaoh. I'll harden his heart. And I'll actually chase after him, even though it's counterintuitive, because he just went through ten plagues and doesn't he know that I'm powerful. But nevertheless, he'll do it. And I will glory myself in the destruction of Pharaoh and his army. And then Egypt will know that I am the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Yod Mitzrayim Ni Hashem. Don't they know already? And this, if you go back in Parsha's bow and Vayera, I think a lot of times when the plagues are given, they say, oh, now you'll know that I'm the Lord. Ani Hashem Bekerbarth, Ani Hashem this, Ani Hashem that. I mean, let's put it this way. If you went through Dom, Tvardeh, Kingdom Arv, and certainly Damakas Bechorus, what do you mean, Yod Mitzrayim Ani Hashem? What, an 11th plague where the sea drowns Pharaoh's army is going to do more than the 10 plagues beforehand? I mean, that's the plain meaning, but why? Uh, if you're that stubborn, that you don't, uh, you know, get impressed with the ten plagues, why would you think the eleventh plague is there? Uh, I'll tell you what I think. Is, now, this is a suggested, but I, it, it, it kind of caught my fancy. I think that the way the passage should be read is he's referring to the Jews who remain behind, and that when they hear Pharaoh's destruction, they'll be stimulated to, to leave Egypt and go join their brethren. I will... Be bekavadik, uh, you know. I'll be glorified through the destruction of Pharaoh. The Yodu Mitzrayim Kiana Hashem. Those who remain in Mitzrayim will know that I'm the Lord. Meaning, even the Dothan Avirin types, when who until now were emotionally attached to power, let's say, or they held high positions of government. I don't know. You know, it's all kind. Of, the Menushrav of this week's parsha. The Menushrav of this week's parsha. I did it last night. <coughs> says um, as one of the reasons why. Paro freaked out when the Jews left. He says many of them were Ashirim and Chachamim. Um, uh, it's a mushal that they give. So listen to what he said. The Chazal that many Jews left Egypt were rich and were uh, had distinguished posts, like we would say today, academic positions and things of that nature. And uh, and that's why Paro regretted because the loss to the country was too great. So you know this is the classic cognitive dissonance. Uh, we want the Jews. We don't want the Jews. We want their brains. We don't want them. <laughs> you understand? Uh, you know, we want the Jews to make the A-bombs, but then we don't want the, uh, the the other Jews. It's always like that. So, I get that. You know, I hear that. But that means that there were some Jews who were quite well off in the Egyptian economy and situation, even though they technically were slaves, and they remained behind. But when they hear, Hashem is saying like this, when they hear that Paro's whole army and himself, the, the, the government itself, were destroyed, uh, then that'll break, that'll snap their uh, attachment to Egypt. And those in Mitzrayim will know I am the Lord. Why would they refer to these people as Mitzrayim? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. The Torah describes the Jews who got assimilated, shall we say, uh, Egyptianized in Egypt in that weird Hebraic phrase, I, I discussed a couple weeks ago, it really should say, or some other preposition. Osam doesn't work unless you sort of interpret it 
uh, that they got Egyptianized by Timur Laird. The whole Oritz was became them. And now, V'yodim Yitzrayim Ki'ani Hashem. So what it means is that uh, it took the uh, physical destruction of the uh, power structure of Paro and the army. Okay? Once the army's not there, so, uh, you know, that's like the, 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 the symbol of breaking of the power. Uh, when they had the ten plagues, so you still have the government, you know, still have the society, even though it's under siege. Uh, but when the army is uh, wiped out, uh, I have no idea what happened in Egypt uh, when that happened. But, uh, I mean, that's an interesting question I'm raising. Like, so, we'll talk about what happened. If Paro got killed, then who came the next pharaoh? And, uh, and if the army got wiped out, so where's the military? Unless you say it's only a small piece of the army. The details are very ambiguous. It's hard to tell. Uh, I don't know if you know this. In the Mechilta, there's a debate whether Pyro himself was drowned. Uh, some say yes, some say no. Um, the reason, if I remember correctly, why they say Pyro was not drowned was because of what it says in the book of Yonah. I'm sure I must have mentioned it here. Because if you remember, when Jonah shows up in Nineveh many centuries later, uh, he does not want to give him a chance to repent. Because Jonah is a, is a patriotic Jew, and uh, the heck with Nineveh, you know, that's Ashur. He knew that soon they're going to wipe out the Jews. So to use modern terminology, if I was sent in a twilight zone, you know, to go and save Hitler in, in 1930 and 18th, why would I do that? Even if Hashem said, I want you to save this baby, because it's Hitler, he's going to kill 6 million Jews. You can totally hear a person say, yes, I don't care who tells me to do it. I'm not going to do it. And um, so Yonah was a Yiddish Yid. That's how you understand the story. Of course, the point of the story is if Hashem says it's going to happen, it's going to happen, you know. So you get swallowed up by a uh, fish, and we all know the story. By the way, I must have mentioned this. You understand the story of Jonah and the fish. He got swallowed up in the Mediterranean, but the fish ended up in Nineveh. So that means it had to circumnavigate. The fish had to go, you know, a little bit of geography, a little bit. Had to go through the Mediterranean, westward, out, and go past the Straits of Gibraltar, then head south in the South Atlantic, along the whole side of Africa, you know, all down what we call uh, West Africa, and then underneath South Africa, and then up into the Indian Ocean, uh, and then straight up from the Indian Ocean into the, uh, what is it, the, the Arabian Sea, and for, I'm going by heart now, and the Arabian Sea into the Persian Gulf, and the Persian Gulf up until you get to the Tigris and Euphrates Rivers. First you hit that Shat al-Arab where they're together, and then they, uh, you know, bifurcate into two rivers. And then you have to go up to Tigris River to, to, to Baghdad, to, I'm sorry, to Nineveh. That's quite a trip. Um, and so, my goodness, Yonah said, I guess I'm not going to Nineveh. Hashem said, yes, you are. Okay, fine. So he goes in, but he doesn't want to be there. And so famously, he says, uh, the minimum possible. In 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. He doesn't give him a Muslim schmooze. He doesn't say repent. He doesn't want to. He hates these guys. And to his consternation, the king immediately says, everybody do tshuva, big time. And they do complete tshuva, uh, what it says, takanos hamarish, you know, the Gemara says. They even return back the beams that they stole and things like that. So, uh, really? Nineveh? Uh, this city of uh, pagan pleasure? This city of licentiousness? This city of Avodazara? All of a sudden did tshuva? So, that leads one, or one school thought in Chazal to say like this, that king of Nineveh must have been Pharaoh. And even though he's hundreds of years later, and when he heard a Jewish prophet say, repent, he said, guys, take it from me. <laughs> I just witnessed the Kriyas Yamsu back in Bashal. Forget it. Repent immediately, you know? Don't ask no questions. Just do it. 
and, uh, and that led to the saving of Nimbe. So that's the basis, I believe, for the notion that Paro didn't uh, drown. Otherwise, you say he drowned. So what happened back in Egypt? Vesachnish. Maybe Dawson and Avir were expelled. Maybe they ran away on their own. People like that. All kind of uh, possibilities suggest themselves. And uh, it's a tuck of food for thought. Similarly, um, I mentioned before, talked about this in the class. I'm just going to devote a minute or two to this. The Jews could have gone straight into uh, into Israel. It says, They could have gone straight into Israel. It doesn't push it. I remember, how, how do you get an, a, a bunch of people across the Sinai Desert when there's no water? Many armies in history couldn't traverse the Sinai Desert because there's no water. In the First World War, I recall, when there was England fighting the Turks on the Palestine front, for a couple of years the British could not get an army over to Palestine, meaning just from Egypt where they were located, across the Suez Canal into uh, what you and I today call the Gaza Strip, uh, because they couldn't, there wasn't enough water for the army to cross until they built a railroad and things like that. So here we are thousands of years ago. Was the Be'er Miriam there already? In other words, the instant, it raised interesting questions of logistics. When the Jews left Egypt and everybody just dropped what they're doing and said, Lech Techachar and they started heading, I guess, eastward towards Israel or, or the Sinai Desert or something like that, where was the water? Now, you can't tell me water was not a problem because the instant they crossed the Red Sea, we all know this week's Parsha, they, couldn't, they didn't have water. And they said to Moshe, you know, right? And I think they complained against him and all that kind of stuff. Isn't that right? It was right after the Oz Yasher. You know what I'm talking about. It's, this, it's in Parsha Mishach. As soon as you get there, Vayechu Shloshe Siyomim Bamidbar Velo Matsumayim and you know, so, so put it this way, what is a big problem? So how'd they do it until then? I mean, they're marching for seven days, uh, right and left, up and down in, in, in Egypt, they're parking themselves against the shore, you can't drink the water from the Red Sea, it's salty, so, 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 so what do they do? I mean, I think this is a logistical question. I, I can only assume that in eastern Egypt, uh, there must have been a lot of war sources. It's, notice, it's not only the Nile, right? Because you're talking about 3 million people. Uh, where do you get water for 3 million people? If you, The Mun comes after, right? Agree? The Mun comes later after the Kriyas Yamsif. Correct? I mean, that's what you have in today's Parsha. That, uh, you know, they start heading towards the desert and then, then, then comes the Mun. Uh, does it mention the water? I don't, I don't think it mentions the water. Does it mention the Be'er Miriam and the Chumash? I don't recall offhand. Uh, which is, you know, itself just kind of interesting because water is a big uh, problem. Now, mind you, wherever the Jews are, they're always near the ocean or the sea, I should say. Because if they're wandering around the Sinai Desert, you're not that far away from the Gulf of Aqaba on the one side and the Gulf of, uh, what is it, Suez on the other. But that's not drinkable water. So, I don't know. So if you have a bare Miriam, a magic well, okay, fine. But what did they do before that? Uh, I can only assume that they're wandering around Egypt, and in eastern Egypt, before they crossed the Red Sea, there was water. Uh, and of course, once they crossed in the Sinai Desert, there is no water. And Vayori Hashem Eitz, that's why Hashem has to start do, doing the miracles. You know, you turn the bitter water into sweet water, and then eventually, and so on and so forth. So uh, I'm simply pointing out that... Uh, when you start to think, as an intelligent adult, about the details and logistics of the exodus from Egypt and the subsequent events, um, 
you know, uh, it, you have to sort of round it out by asking the kind of questions that a general would ask if he had to transport an army there. Moshe is a general. I mean, he set up flags, uh, you know, and they diglay him or something like that, or chamushim. So the coming is the wrong guy's group. Then Moshe had to organize the food. Well, the mon takes care of that. Uh, and then you had to organize the water. And uh, that's quite a uh, task. Let's put it this way. And uh, I still don't, none of us will ever know exactly how the Be'er and Miriam worked. And uh, literally, is it a well? I mean, if you got three million people, what I have <laughs> talk about long lines. I mean, is that what I got to do every day, stand in the line for, uh, you know, 12 Shvatim till I get to water? Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not exactly clear. Maybe I'm not familiar with all the Chazals on that or the Midrashim. But uh, these are, uh, you know, just real questions that I would suggest that uh, throw themselves at you when you uh, look at, at the Parsha. There's more, but I'll leave that for now. Gotta go shopping. Let's have a good Shabbos.